would grab a Bible, open with me to the first psalm. Psalm 1 is where we'll begin. And Psalm 1, let me get all settled here. It is good to see you this morning. I know that uh, we, you know, it's a holiday weekend. We have a lot of our people that are uh, gone and other places, and, uh, and yet it is a good time for us to gather together and be together. I'm encouraged to see you, appreciate uh, this opportunity to worship and to study with you. Uh, this study that uh, we're about to go through uh, is one of those studies from time to time um, there are things that strike you about a text or an idea that you may have looked at a number of times in the past. And uh, this is an idea that as I had noticed something in the text, it led me to explore and explore and explore. And then I thought, you know what, I need to talk about that and let you guys know. And so uh, as we look through this, uh, it may be something that's a little different from what you have uh, have ever heard about this or something that might be something you've not noticed before? And yet I wanted to kind of show you what I found. Hey, guys, look at what I found. This is something pretty cool. So uh, with that in mind, I want to read with you Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the psalmist pronounces a blessing in verse 1 on the one who avoids the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seed of scoffers. And instead, he says in verse 2, he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates day and night on Jehovah's law. And he uses three parallel terms in verse 1. In verse 1 he says, the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of scoffers. Or yours might have something like the scornful or a mocker in that last one. And I want to call your attention to that last word in verse 1 for a few minutes this morning. I want to talk to you about the spirit of scorning and mocking and scoffing. And the idea I want to communicate this morning, you're not going to miss it. If you miss everything else, just remember this. Don't be a scoffer. Don't be a scoffer. Don't be like this. In biblical thought, the scoffer is the person who always finds something to complain about, always finds some problem always has something to attack or something to denounce. And I want us to think about how this idea is used throughout Scripture. And then I want to think about how you and I know people like this, and sometimes you and I are people like this, so that we can be sure we don't become scoffers. And don't worry, we're not just going to scoff at scoffers this morning. We're also going to think more practically about what we can do that would be positive. So uh, to describe this person biblically, uh, we're going to go through some different uh, identifications here. The scoffer is against everything and for nothing. So in verse 1, it describes it as the seat of scoffers. What is a scoffer? A scoffer's joy, a a scoffer's passion is to scoff, which is to point out the flaws in someone else. They always have something negative to say. In any situation, they can find what's not perfect. They see the thorn on every rose. They see the cloud on every sunny day. There it is. This is why this is not as good as everybody else seems to think it is. And so the scoffer often gets an audience. People want to hear from the scoffer because usually his view is different from what others are saying. And so we kind of thrive on the conflict of that. We say, oh, you know, it's interesting. There's some drama there. This person is going against the conventional wisdom. So 
Scoffing, then, is that spirit of, well, here is a person who is always against. He's always the negative. But scoffing has no substance to it because it's never constructive. It never goes anywhere. It never builds up. It is instead always just negative. Let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3 might be the passage you thought of first when we talked about, uh, when I brought up the idea of scoffing. Uh, because Peter points out that these are people we're going to have to deal with as regards the second coming of Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. It says, This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through, the apostle, through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Isn't that funny? Scoffers will come with scoffing. It's what they do. Following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So it's an example in verse 4 of what their scoffing sounds like. And he says, just know there are two paths here. You can think about the predictions of the apostles and the word of the Lord, or you can listen to the scoffers because scoffers are going to come and they're going to criticize and they're going to throw stones at the idea that Jesus is coming back. And the scoffing sounds like this, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Everything looks the same as it always has been. You know what? I don't know how anybody could believe in a fairy tale like that. That just is, it's old-fashioned, it's a myth. We are way past that in our modern scientific society. That's just ridiculous. And so there is scoffing, and you hear the tone of the scoffing. It's just something that we could say, no, no, that's not right, I'm against it. So the viewpoint here doesn't promote anything. Did you notice that? It doesn't go anywhere. It's not as if they're saying, you know what? I know you guys believe in Jesus, but there's a better way than Jesus. Oh, no. No, it is just casting doubt on what Jesus has promised. So there's nothing about it that is pro. It is only anti. For many years, I have been a debater. I was a debater in high school, in college, and even now still dabble some in debate, uh, although I don't, I don't really enjoy uh, religious debate for reasons I'll tell you about in another time. But uh, when you're debating, in my opinion, it's a lot easier to be the negative position than the affirmative position. So for those who are uninitiated in debate, basically, I, I'm thinking mainly a policy debate. There's a policy that is proposed, and the affirmative has to say, here are all the reasons why you should vote for this new policy. But the negative just says, here are the reasons why you shouldn't, and you should just stay the same. And it's always easier to be negative, because if you're the affirmative, well, you have to prove that this is a good policy, that it would work to do the things we want it to do, that there are lots of advantages for it, that you could get it passed, that there's nothing in the present system that solves the problem the way your policy does. But if you're the negative, all you have to say is their case doesn't work. All you have to do is poke holes in the case. And so it's always easier to be negative. That's what scoffing is, just to be against everything and for nothing. It's always easier to be a scoffer. Have you noticed that that's true in life? Have you noticed that it's easier to criticize someone who is in power, whether it's someone who's in power in politics or someone who's in power in your job? It's easier to criticize them than to be in power yourself. Because when you're in power, you realize, oh, this is hard. It's easier to criticize someone else's parenting than to do the parenting yourself. 
It's always easier to find something to poke holes in others about. That's the spirit of the scoffer. And so we have to be careful about this because it is tempting for us to to criticize and to not actually be constructive. The Bible is teaching us that this is not a sustainable worldview. If you view the world this way, it doesn't go where you want it to go. So the scoffer says, everything is bad. I can find the bad in everything, but not the good. And I can't be for anything. The second thing here is that the scoffer refuses to believe. You can see this in this text that we're in right here in 2 Peter 3. There is behind this refusal to accept Jesus and his claims something else. Look in verse 3 of 2 Peter 3. It says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Now, there's something else going on than just the intellectual game of is Jesus coming back or not. They have evil desires that they want to follow, and they're casting doubts on Jesus because they don't want to believe in Jesus because that would mean they can't do their evil desires. They can't do what they want to do if Jesus is coming back. In verse 5, it says, For they deliberately overlook this fact, or yours might have, they willfully forget that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So here are people, he says, who deliberately overlook. They put it out of their mind on purpose. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the facts of the case. I want to think about how I can dismiss it. They are refusing to believe. It's not that they couldn't believe. It's not that there's no grounds for belief. It's that they are choosing not to. And then in verse 8, he says, but you... Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So that word overlook in verse 8 is the same as in verse 5. They deliberately overlook. So he's saying scoffers are this way. You don't be that, that way. You don't overlook it. You don't refuse to believe. So when you're talking about a scoffer, faith is a, an unnecessary risk for a scoffer. It's a lot easier to say, you know what, I'm not sure about that. And if I did go all the way, then it would mean a lot of things about changes I would have to make. I I think I'm on safer ground just doing what I want and then mocking those who do have strong convictions about something. That's an easier path for me. So when we talk about evil motives, which he does there in verse 3, their sinful desires, that will always corrupt a pursuit of faith. If, if you want to do your own thing, you will never find sincere faith. I can't trust God if I don't want to face my sin. I can't trust God when I don't want to give up my own evil desires. So this is the, the thread of the scoffer. There's a passage. I was going to turn to it, but uh, now that I think about it, I don't know that it adds too much to it. But there's a passage in Acts 13 uh, where Paul, preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, actually quotes from Habakkuk. And the passage says, watch out, you scoffers. I will do a work in your day that you would not believe, though it were told to you. And it's fascinating to me that there are people who hear a message that is absolutely believable, and yet there is something that stops them. They are scoffers because they refuse to believe even when they're told. So the search for truth is compromised. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready for that. Uh, so... The search for truth is compromised. Proverbs 14 and verse 6. This is what I thought was going to come up on the board, but it didn't because whoever made the PowerPoints needs to be fired. But um, Proverbs 14 and 6, 
A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Do you hear it? He seeks wisdom. He's after something, but he doesn't get there. Why? Well, there's something missing that is internal, compromising the spirit in which they are seeking truth. So, probably the idea here is that a scoffer is just too proud to listen, to understand, to submit, to trust. So if we don't understand it, then we just make fun of it. And we just say, oh, that's stupid. No one should believe that. It's ridiculous. And so our words become stronger as our determination not to pursue it, not to understand it, grows stronger. Very often, and I want to point this out before we move on from this. I have heard this a lot. Uh, And a lot of people say these kinds of things in our time. Many scoffers will tell you that if they just had more evidence, if there was just clearer evidence, if God would just do blank, then they would believe. And they argue that whatever evidence they have is insufficient, and then they'll tell you exactly what evidence they would need or require before they would come to faith. The sketches of the scoffer here, though, show us that it's not the evidence that's the problem. The problem is when you have a heart that doesn't want to believe, no amount of evidence will ever convince. It's not possible to convince someone who doesn't want to believe. It just won't work. Instead, there has to be a spirit that says, I want to believe. I seek the truth. So let me be clear here, and I want to be clear, and I want everyone to be on my page. I'm not saying, that if somebody chooses not to believe, that they automatically have evil motives. I am not saying that asking for evidence is a sign that there is an evil attitude at heart. I am also not saying that we shouldn't question and reconsider our beliefs and challenge what we think and make sure it is true. Here is what I am saying. I am saying that Scripture warns us that we can reach a point of skepticism And when we are so skeptical at this point, we refuse to believe. It is no longer about honestly looking. It is no longer about what evidence is there. It is instead that we are scoffers. And we are determined and committed to our scoffing. The third thing is, uh, the scoffer thrives on conflict. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24 and verse 9. Proverbs 24, 9. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. That means nobody likes him. He's an abomination to mankind. Why? Well, it's in part because, as we'll see in these, these passages we're about to look at, it's in part because he does damage to people and to relationships. But I also think it's in part because he has a shtick that gets old. People get tired of it. Don't you have people in your life that their negativity and cynicism just wears you down? And that over time you just say, I've just had enough. The scoffer, he says, is an abomination to men. Turn the page over to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 10. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out. 
and quarreling and abuse will cease. All right, get rid of the scoffer, you get rid of the fighting. No more quarrels, no more abuse. Now, of course, that's not literally true. We can still fight with other people that are not necessarily scoffers. But you get his point, right? The point is conflict follows these kinds of people because they are constantly sowing discord. It is destructive in relationships. Go over to Proverbs 29, Proverbs 29, verse 8. Proverbs 29 and verse 8 says, Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. All right, setting a city aflame, whatever we might say, is not good. Right? We don't want to set any cities aflame. He's saying that's what scoffers do. They create conflict. And so I want to put this together for you. The nature of the connection here between scoffing and conflict is not hard. When someone is constantly mocking and attacking and questioning, they cause trouble, they damage people. Sometimes people fight back and they say, you know what, you're wrong about that. You shouldn't be talking that way. This isn't right. And so we stand up to the scoffer and then what happens? Well, there is conflict and only when you get rid of the the scoffer, he says, will there be peace again. But these verses also seem to show that the, the scoffer thrives on conflict. This is what he wants. In fact, I believe very often people with this spirit begin to define themselves by the conflict. That I'm not really doing my job unless I'm making people mad at me about the positions that I hold. So I'm doing well when I'm having lots of arguments and causing lots of trouble. Some people are contrarian thinkers. And that's okay. In fact, sometimes I like to fashion myself a contrarian thinker. And you may have noticed, I don't always think the way everybody else thinks. You may have noticed that from the things that I say sometimes. I'm not saying, and I don't think these pastors are saying, that it's wrong to have an odd opinion. It's wrong to ask questions about things. These verses are showing us that sometimes our spirit about issues causes damage to other people. It causes trouble. Not everybody is ready to be constantly pushed and mocked. Not everyone is ready for that. There is damage. It's one thing to be a contrarian. It's another to constantly fight and cause fights. It's one thing to think out loud. It's another thing to actively tear down other people's faith. Those are different. It's one thing to think critically about a topic. It is another thing to constantly criticize people and their actions. Those are two different things. That's what these Proverbs are highlighting. Someone who causes damage because their skepticism just continually causes conflict with them. One man wrote about the scoffer. His mischief is not the random damage of the fool. You know, the fool in Proverbs is is famous. Not the random damage of the fool, but the deeper damage of the debunker and the deliberate troublemaker. So... I might have doubts or I might have thoughts that are a little off about something, but I need to ask myself the question, how is this going to affect other people? If I voice this or if I keep voicing this, what's the impact? So I am encouraging you, don't be a scoffer, the kind of person who then lets that spirit damage your relationships with others so that people just say, man, I can't wait to get that guy out of here so we can finally have peace. Don't be a scoffer. The scoffer rationalizes his behavior. 
part of the problem with being a scoffer is that we often don't stop long enough to listen because a scoffer is very often the one talking. And so there is not this sense of, okay, maybe I've gone too far here. I want to go with you to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1. You'll see this in the descriptions of the scoffer in Proverbs that we'll go through here over the next couple of minutes. But the scoffer is hard to deal with because there is no way to actually help him understand his situation and the damage he is causing. Proverbs 1 and verse 20. Proverbs 1 and verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. I think that's ironic there that wisdom becomes the mocker of the mocker. That, you know, you mocked at my words and now I will scoff or mock at you. But verse 22 is the key there. Verse 22, how long, O simple ones, wisdom asks, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? So here is wisdom, careful, danger, and yet the scoffer says, come on. He refuses to listen. He thinks he gives wisdom. He does not think he needs to receive it. This is the problem with scoffing. There is no moment where we say, you know what, it's time for me to learn instead of just criticizing. It's time for me to shut my mouth. This may be a situation I've never encountered before. There may be more to the situation than I know of. No, there's none of that. Instead, there is just bullying forward and saying, yes, I am automatically right. This is a pattern that the Proverbs show about how the scoffer deals with his behavior. Turn over to Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9. In the book of Proverbs, one of the, uh, probably the greatest danger or the greatest sin in the book of Proverbs is refusing to listen when there is a rebuke or a correction to be given. And the scoffer is one of those who, because of the the path he has chosen, refuses to listen. Proverbs 9 and verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So he says, good luck correcting a scoffer. You've got a guy like this and you try to set him straight. No, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't say that. Don't be that way. And he says, you're going to regret it. He says in verse 7, you'll get yourself abuse. In other words, he'll just mock you the way he's mocked everything else. That's just the way he is. Don't you have people in your life like that? Don't you have people in your life that if you try to ever talk to them about something like that, what you get is not, you know what, I probably crossed the line. You're right. Instead, what you get is a fight. What you get is a rationalization. You're wrong about that. Let me tell you, and i got some other things I think about you. Don't you have people in your life that it's hard to challenge, it's hard to correct, it's hard to reprove? He says, it may be their scoffers, who are treating you this way because they have committed themselves to scoffing. So what happens here is there is a rationalization. Instead of it being a humility, okay, let's let's try to pursue something better. 
Okay, I want to be corrected. I want to learn. Instead, there is a rationalization and even an attack. In Proverbs 13 and verse 1, Proverbs 13 and verse 1, it says, Proverbs 13, 1, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Here's a rebuke, and the scoffer says, Nope, you're wrong. I'm right. That's ridiculous. I can't believe you would think that. And on and on it goes. The problem, of course, with this spirit is that when we act as though we already know it all, we are completely blind to our faults. We cannot see ourselves. We are instead stopping our ears, rationalizing our own behavior. And even the people who do see us and are loving us and trying to help us, we attack them as if they are the problem. Usually, we offer some really, really good reasons for the things that we do. We think we're right, and so we begin to defend ourselves as if we're right. We rationalize our behavior. I've had a lot of experience trying to talk to people when I believe something was wrong and that they needed to change something. I have also had a lot of experience, sadly, with people talking to me about things that I was doing that needed to change. And I will just say from both sides of that conversation, the urge to rationalize our behavior is extremely strong. Very rarely, even among followers of Jesus, do we stop and say, you know what, you're right. Do we stop and honestly consider? So, I asked you earlier, don't you have people in your life who are like this? That's not really the question I want to ask. The question I want to ask is, are you like that? How willing am I to receive someone else's correction? Or am I like the scoffer who finds some other ground for scoffing? Who instead of listening earnestly and humbly attacks the person as if they're not qualified to to challenge me on anything in my life? That's the spirit of the scoffer. He rationalizes his behavior. The last thing I want to talk about is how the scoffer lacks direction. Let's go back to Psalm 1, where we began. Psalm 1. And then we'll be done scoffing at the scoffer, and we'll try to do something constructive here. Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So look at the difference there. Do you see it? The two different paths. The one path you've got the the counsel of the wicked and the the uh, way of sinners and the seat of scoffers. And he says the, the ultimate destination of that path is that they're like chaff. No permanence, no fruit. But then you look at the righteous and the one who delights in the law of Jehovah and meditates on his law day and night. And that person is like a tree planted by the water. Even out of season, it yields its fruit. It is always what God wants it to be. There is a permanence there. There is a fruitfulness there. What he is getting at here is the way of the wicked, which is also, by the way, the the seat of the scoffer. It doesn't go anywhere. What it is is merely the set of excuses we use for doing whatever we want and dismissing any idea or any person who is going to try to challenge our desire to do what we want. That's the bottom line. 
And that is not a sustainable direction for life. We feel convinced that we can out-argue somebody or that we have our reason to do the things we want to do. And when someone tries to challenge us, we rationalize and we argue back and we say, you know what, I think I'm right. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I am saying, the psalmist is saying, where does that go? Where does that get you? Yeah, okay, you win an argument. But what's the fruit that's born in your life from just being a scoffer? If we want to become people of quality and character, if we want to achieve great things in our relationships and our spiritual lives, what we need is direction. We need to go in the right direction daily, continually, over days and weeks and months and years and plant roots in the gospel and bear fruit. That's what we need. But that's not what the scoffer does. The scoffer is not about faith and commitment and discipline and correction and wisdom. The scoffer is not about facing sins and changing course. The scoffer is about criticizing without direction. Don't be a scoffer. All right, let's do more than just scoff at the scoffer. I want us to think about some questions. And as I do, I'm going to present this as a question for you. But I I want to remind you, it's easier to be negative than it is to be affirmative. I have noticed this as a preacher. I have noticed that when I first started preaching, and I would preach, you know, sometimes by appointment, and I would have, you know, a couple of months to plan a lesson, what would happen would be I would get some some grievance in my heart. And I would be so mad about something and I would get to, you know, write this sermon and, and word it just perfectly and then I get to get up and preach. And boy, I just let them have it. It was great. But when I started preaching regularly, you know what happened? Like you can't preach like that every week. If you do, well, everybody will hate you for one. But if you do, you're just constantly criticizing, constantly negative. There are times we need to be gotten on to, but but not all the time. So you have to learn, wait, what am I for? What are we going to do? In the same way, I want to ask you this question. What are you for? Not what are you against? I I believe this problem has plagued us for a long time because in many ways we have defined ourselves by what we are not. And I mean as a congregation... You know, we're, we don't, we're not a denomination. We don't use instruments. We don't support institutions. Well, that's all fine. But what are we for? What is our identity? What are we about? What do you care about? Or what do you believe? What do you believe? Not what don't you believe. Not what are you against. We don't need to talk about uh, Calvinism and all of that. Like, I get it. I'm right there with you. But what, what do we believe? What can we say? See, that's, a, that's an anti-scoffer question right there. That makes us say, I'm going to step out and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. I believe in eternal life. I believe that these things are true. And as I live my life that way, I want other people to know I believe this. And if that opens me up for criticism, fine. If you want to take shots at me because I believe something, fine. But I at least do believe it. And I'm not going to spend my life just taking shots at other people about what they believe. There has to be a time where we step forward and say, this is who I am. Do you make peace? One of the marks of the scoffer 
is the idea that he creates and thrives on conflict. Where he goes, conflict follows, get him out, and there's peace again. What about us? Are we that kind of person? I understand that we need to be critical thinkers. I understand that we need to challenge and question. But but what's the fruit that comes from our behavior? Are we peacemakers in what we do? Are we doing that in a way that is constructive? Or are we creating conflict? Can you admit when you're wrong? Can you do it? Can you admit when you are wrong? I understand it's easy to admit when other people are wrong. That's fun. We can do that a lot. I'm talking about when someone comes to me and says, you said this, you did this, you shouldn't be this. Can I say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. And then where are you going? We talked about scoffing doesn't, it lacks direction. So what is your direction? It's time for us to grow past a mediocre, overly negative view of life. What will we do? Who will we be? What is God making us into? What positive thing can we say about the future? Sometimes people are going to criticize us. They're going to say that we shouldn't believe what we believe. They say, you shouldn't try that. You did it wrong. They will criticize us for admitting something. They'll criticize us for going somewhere. They always do. That's always going to happen. But don't let their scoffing turn you into a scoffer. Don't be a scoffer. Be a believer. That's the difference. Thanks for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.